0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go.
0: So I was just going through my notes about what we're going to talk about on this podcast episode, and I'm making myself laugh because I realize how ridiculous I am.
1: How so?
0: Well, I mean, well, well. To go over
1: notes, that's not. It's not ridiculous to
0: go over notes, but like reading back on something that I prepared the other day for this discussion. Well, okay, let's just jump right in. So, I thought for so long, I thought being a team and being a successful relationship basically meant being the same in a lot of ways. So, like for instance things like morals and politics and religion and finances and parenting, you know, we needed to be on the same page on all those things. I mean, how many thousands of times have I said that to you, basically?
1: Um, A lot.
0: A lot, yeah. Yeah,
1: and during your drinking days I just caved to a lot of your political views or you know, your opinions about things just because I didn't want to have to deal with having to discuss and defend my point of view, I think morals is a little bit different. I think you can't have a different set of morals. Like, I can't say, I want an open marriage and you can say, no, I just want it to be monogamous. Like That, I think, is way too different.
0: No, that's. I'm really glad you said that because, again, referring to my notes, I said of that list morals, politics, religion, finance, parenting, morals is pretty much the only thing that it is important that we're Pretty much, hundred percent on the same page. What
1: aligned?
0: Yeah, yeah. very, very, very closely aligned. But but not the rest. And it's the the thing that made me laugh when I was looking at this is, it's only in recent years that I've realized how different we are. I mean, we've been Mm -hmm. married for almost like a few weeks short of twenty five years, and we were together for a couple of years before that. So we've been together for a long time, and I'm just realizing how different we are. And also really recognizing as we grow stronger as individuals and grow stronger as a couple how important respect for those differences differences is. I think I just bullheadedly forced us into the same path in a lot of ways, especially when we were drinking, when I was drinking. But now I realize that respecting your opinion and respecting the way you feel about a lot of those things is really really important and that respect has to be consistent that is probably the most important you know takeaway from these first couple minutes from this initial discussion not only do i have to respect the fact that you have different opinions but i have to consistently respect it and not only respect mm-hmm. it when i am in a good mood or when things are going well or when you know there's no no massive stress that I'm dealing with. I have to just consistently... Why are you laughing at me?
1: Well, I'm just Just because of how
0: ridiculous I am? Yes,
1: in a lot of ways that, like, you think, oh, team, you have to be, yeah, on the same page, but you have to be so much alike. Because you've coached soccer for a very long time. Like, even back in college, you were coaching soccer. You wouldn't want a team of all midfielders. Hmm. Like, how Look could you. you have, like, thought that everybody has to be exactly the same? Because... A team is built of different strengths of people that come together and you know get the job done.
0: Your your basically. point is both really good and also surprising. Really good because it's just a sound point you're making, but surprising because even though I've coached soccer for all these years and decades, I didn't think you had a clue what a midfielder was. Well, you've never taken a great deal of interest in the Back, sport.
1: Yeah. Well, I watch I mean, it. When I when the listened, kids were playing. Yeah, I watch it. I listen. Okay. You know, I know there. Are, I know the.
0: You're right. There are different positions. So apparently, there's different positions in this relationship too. See how quickly oh. we got into talking about different positions, Sherry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're funny. Um. Okay, so yeah, the consistent respect for that. Let's talk about parenting to start with. This is a really tangible, concrete area where you and I do things differently. We, that i this I've known for years. But for a long time, I tried to, you know, kind of shoehorn you into my style of parenting. I remember when you were pregnant for the first time, you were reading pregnancy books. And I was like, we're going to be fine. We're going to be great. I'm just going to wing it. I don't want to read those books. I mean, I went to, what was it called? Lamaze class?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Willingly. I mean, I, yeah. I, I knew that part yeah, was important. we were
1: excited for. There was
0: stuff I didn't the, understand. Yeah, yeah. And we got. You wanted to be the best coach. Pretty excited about that. Yeah, and
1: you wanted to be a good support to me in the delivery room and and breastfeeding. You know, you wanted to be a helper, and you were a very good helper. Yeah. Yeah, Not you you breastfeeding, but helping that go a little easier than planned.
0: Right. So, but beyond that, that stuff that I just wouldn't have known. The rest of it, I was just like, let's just wing it. And you were like, I'm going to read about this stuff. And, and I mean, I think you were visibly not nervous, but not concerned either. Just really concentrating on wanting to learn so that you could get it right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think, well, like your recent blog post, I'm a gatherer. So I gathered a lot of information, evaluated. You read I, that? Yes. I gathered information, I evaluated evaluated it against like my own experience, and then with my older nephews that were born when I was 13 and 15, and kids, you know, babysitting, and kind of like formulated what I felt would be good for me, a good plan.
0: You know what a midfielder is, and you read my blog post. God, you must just think that I
1: just ignore you completely. I'm, I'm
0: impressed. Thank you very much. Um... Yeah, so so when it comes to parenting, you know, there have been many times in our relationship when you would bring me things that you were struggling with, the things that you were trying to figure out, or one of the kids was giving you problems in one way or the other. And at the beginning, you know, I, I didn't understand how like fundamentally different our perspectives on child rearing are, were and are. You know, like I would say things like, you know, you would say um, one of our kids is is giving you problems because they want to do both of the things you offered them or they don't want to do either of the things you offered them. And I would say, why are you giving them choices? Just tell them what they're going to do. They don't get to pick what they're going to eat or where we're going to go or what time we're going to leave. Just tell them what time to get their ass in the car and (laughs) tell them to sit down and eat whatever you've got in front of them beforehand. And I really I legitimately thought this would solve all your problems if you would just do this. I didn't the part I didn't understand is that you have a tendency um I don't know if genetics the right word. You have a natural component in you to nurture and and letting them make their age-appropriate decisions is a huge part of that nurturing and doing it properly, right?
1: Yes, and I also felt that it was very Respectful to let them have their own opinions and have some say in some smaller things, also setting them up with making decisions when offered choices in life later on. Because really, that is a skill set that you have to learn how to evaluate your different choices. Yeah. You know, there are some people that are stunted when you're faced with two or three opportunities and you've got to choose one. So, and giving them, like, age-appropriate choices that... They can feel a little bit empowered because a lot of little kids, I mean, our generation and, and beyond and, you know, older the generations than us, we're basically told to sit down, shut up, don't say anything, do what we say. We're the parents. There was no explanation. And I feel like that's just the wrong way to parent.
0: Yeah. Okay. Generation. Just, there is some generationality to it, but I think, I think there's a lot of moms out there in the generation above us that.
1: Like younger than us?
0: Older than us. Older
1: than us. Okay. They, they,
0: I think your mom and my mom
1: they gave, gave, some yeah.
0: they gave some options. Yeah, yeah, and that's I, where I learned. I think it's from. more of a mom, a mom thing. Maybe it is. And and I I think it's great now. For a long time, I thought you know another one is whenever the kids are off school and you and I are both working, that gives you a great deal of guilt because if they're going to be bored if they don't have something lined up, and you want to find ways to spend time with them because you enjoy spending time with them, but also to make sure they're entertained and they're not stuck in the house
1: mm-hmm.
0: just kind of doing nothing, you know, when especially when they were younger.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, and things are so different where we live and nowadays, you know, like I lived in a small town and I had a neighborhood <laughs> full of kids. So, you know, yeah, you could like leave just, after
0: breakfast and come back before dark. You know, That's always li- Yeah,
1: I mean, but we came home for lunch. Like, yes. we just stayed in the neighborhood again, small town. So we had a lot of opportunities to just free play. And I feel like life has become so much different and structured.
0: But that desire like all that you had.
1: comparison with their friends, too. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was one of the things that I realized kind of drove my desire to have them do things. So when they met up with friends and they're like, oh, what'd you do, you know, this last couple weeks or this last month or your summer? I didn't want to be like, oh, I just stayed at home. You know, I wanted them to, like, share experiences and I know that that's having them compare themselves to others, but I didn't want them to feel, like, Shortchanged or cheated in some way, yeah. Like that, they didn't get experiences. And we live in Denver, and there's a ton of opportunity.
0: Yeah. And so I would again, that would frustrate me for a long time. And I would say, you know, you're you're working, you're doing stuff for the kids because you're working on something that's that's helping to create a stable and healthy family and provide. And I'm doing the same, and so we're doing stuff for the kids. What, you know we don't need to entertain them that used to really frustrate me because I just didn't I again I thought we should be aligned. I thought you and I should be the same. Why would you feel that way? That doesn't make sense. Now I understand it's very natural for you to feel that way and it's it's really great. It's actually way better than the way I felt um, overall so wow. so yeah you know this this I think about this a lot lately there's a reason why I think in many families, I know this is the way I was growing up. Our kids don't come into our room very often at all in the middle of the night. But when a kid does come into the parents' room in the middle of the night, they usually go to the mom's side of the bed. I know I sure did. And I know on the rare occasion when our kids need something in the middle of the night, they come, they walk around my side of the bed <laughs> to see you because you're the nurturing one. You're the
1: <laughs> but then they you're wake more me of up a caregiver. And they realize I'm not that great of a middle you're of a a the night. You're a touch grumpy. I'm a touch grumpy. So there are times that they. I have come in and then I have like woken you up and you've, you know, had to take over. But usually when they're smaller and younger and littler because you were working at the bakery early, early hours, you know, I did deal with that. But I don't want to say I scared them to stay in their beds. Yeah, I know. But they were kind of self-sufficient. They have After they could get out of their beds.
0: They have been. It's true. But you definitely have more of a compulsion and a just a natural inclination toward nurturing which I now appreciate and in fact I wrote in my notes, I wrote the word appreciation in capital letters which is actually really hard for me to stay in all caps, you should see it, it looks like I wrote it with my feet it's pretty awful, but my understanding, not just my understanding but my appreciation needs to be consistent um, of that I I can't just, when, when when I'm tired or stressed or the kids are on my nerves, I can't just say, Jerry why don't you just do it my way. Why don't you why are you giving them so many choices? Because that is just a rejection of your of who you are. And for me to reject who you are is is painful. It might it might not be like I'm gonna run into the other room crying painful, but it it it's a shot, right? It's a it's a negative when we're trying to have positives to build a strong relationship. And I also know last thing on the topic of parenting. When I have yelled at the kids, um, sometimes that hurts you. Oh,
1: that is that. I don't know. That just cuts me, even now, or even if it's deserved. I've always felt very protective and defensive. Even
0: if it's deserved, yeah. Most of the time, you're just running around (laughs) screaming at them.
1: Well, I mean, like I'm just thinking about like times, perhaps when you were drinking, that something was small and you just. Like, really exaggerated it, you know? And I'm like, that could have been a calmer, like, more stern, like, please stop that now or no thank you, we're not doing that. But, you know, like, you could become very vocal and it'd be like, "Ah," in a a loud, Mm -hmm. like, scary yell. That's what I mean. Like, that's what I meant, like, when it's deserved. But I do, I, I but I even, like, get defensive and protective when one of our kids are, like, being ornery to the other child. Or you know, yeah, it's like I have to protect them always.
0: Well, it's helpful that I know that that, like you said, that cuts you the way it does, deserved or not, because I mean, I don't I don't know if you can tell, but I really try not to yell at them. I mean, they gotta really deserve it now, yeah, because I know that it's gonna hurt you, and that's not something I'm setting out to do. Again, back to the original premise, If you and I were completely aligned and we were the same, then when I'm yelling at them, you should be right behind me yelling at them too. Yeah. But now that I understand how different we are, only took me two and a half decades. But now that I understand how different we are, <laughs> Had
1: half of our kids out the door before you finally figured that
0: out. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about finances because that's fun to talk about. Oh yeah. Um, when when you go and procure things <laughs> that we need here at this house to sustain us to live. <laughs> To keep us healthy. To go do my gathering. Good things. When you go out and do that, and then you come back, I have a tendency to make a scowly face when I see the credit card receipts. And, you know, I I, I feel like, um, I feel like that that is a lingering impact on me from way back. I mean, we have had we've owned our own business, we've done our own thing for. A very long time now. Yeah. Um, God, I don't even know. How Seventeen long. or no. eighteen years? Or no, something like
1: nineteen that. years. Because our we moved out here when our oldest was like a year.
0: So nineteen years now. We've been doing our own thing, one way or the other, and for the most part, it's gone well. Um, very, very rarely, it's gone great from a financial standpoint, and. Rarely, but not very, very rarely, it's gone poorly. Yes. And it's been very there difficult. Have been,
1: there have been some lean There's some lean months. years. And you add those up and those are lean years.
0: Yeah. And so I think Because it was a
1: bakery, so we got to eat food. <laughs> so we had,
0: it was a food business. <laughs> yeah, so, so we
1: had some, some cush there.
0: But I think from some of those lean times, when I would see you spending money, again, on necessities, you're not a frivolous spender. You really aren't. But when I would see you spending money, I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know how this is all going to work. And I just have, like, I understand why people get a reputation for being cheap. Because if you've had that experience in the past, then it doesn't matter how well things are going or how well budgeted things are and planned for. It's traumatic when you see the money going out, whether you knew it was going to go out or not. Exactly.
1: Because then you're always fearful if it's budgeted that there's going to be a budget buster.
0: The unexpected.
1: That, you know, somebody breaks their nose or wrecks their bike and, you know, or the bike gets stolen, you know, like yeah. just those things.
0: But so I even, even you know, pretty much regardless, whenever there's money spent, I make a scowly face and a grunt and a, a big sigh and I groan about it. Again, even when it's totally planned for and it's you know, and you could buy, you know, toilet paper and a bag of potatoes and I'd be like oh god so these are these are definitely I was trying to pick some necessities it's, there yeah yeah so uh that has an impact on you yes you spent it so you take it personally even though you're going out and doing this thing for the family that you know that we could be down to the last sheet of toilet paper before I would notice and actually go out and do <laughs> it so y- you're doing it, and it's way better than the way I would I would handle things if I was the stuff procurer, more so, because I'm not very much. Um, so even with all that good stuff, it's budgeted, uh, it's necessary, and you're being generous of your time and your effort and your knowledge by going out and doing it. So even though you you have that confidence, you spent it, so you take it personally when I sigh and groan like that, don't you?
1: Yes, but I've gotten a lot better because you're doing, as a sober spouse and teammate, you're doing a lot better than you used to, and you've made a conscious effort. And I'm not taking it as personally because I'm also saying to myself, you know, you write on the grocery list too. That's in my head. Matt writes on the grocery list. Our children eat a ton of food, you know, when they're home. Mm -hmm. Like, you just have to get it, and I kind of got a thicker skin from it, and because I know that it's not going to turn into a big argument. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking, you know, you've been sober over five, like, five and a half years now, but even just up until a couple years ago, I still, like, would be nervous. And sometimes I do get nervous if it's, like, a a medical thing that an optional, medical, you know... Treatment or having to go to the doctor for something, optional. I think I think that's okay. Like the dermatologist, you know. I don't know that that's like it's nothing bad, but we've tried other products, you know. So I do feel like I do want to discuss those
0: dermatologists for the teens. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, So
0: I don't don't view that. Maybe this will make you. Maybe I'll make you feel better, even right here on this podcast. I don't view that as optional. I mean, like you've said, there's going to be scarring and long term impacts, and so I don't. I don't view that as op- optional any more than I view the orthodontics as optional. I mean, yes, you we could send the kids out into the world with crooked teeth and all kinds of dermatological problems, but um, you, what kind of parents would we be if we did that? So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. It's not it's not necessary for every kid. So, um, it's hit or miss. That's for sure. But I I don't view that as optional. We, I don't think we have any. I don't think you do anything that's optional, really. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that can make you feel better. But so, yeah, so one of the things that I've taken away from this is really, really, really working on not grunting and groaning and doing my little four-second hissy fit when I see that you've spent money, because although that's my trigger, that's the way I'm reacting to my trigger from days of old, it's not fair, because it in turn triggers you, and It's disrespectful. And again, it's really important that I be consistent. I mean, especially given the fact that in my head I'm thinking, this is so wonderful that my wife goes and shops for our family and takes care of all of our needs at the same time as I'm groaning. So why can't that be my reaction? And so that's what I've tried to do. And I know so far it just seems all like fake because I'm like, oh, Thank you, Sherry. I'm so glad that you. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's one way you just be like, okay, thanks. Then you know, you know, you don't have to thank I'm me for going shopping. I'm not very good at. You don't that. have to thank me for shopping. You can say thank you for giving me the. You know, like yeah, thank
0: yeah. Well, we'll see. When
1: you're eating your peanuts, I tend to have that over the top reactions
0: to one way or the other. Yeah. But I'm not very good at just middle of the road. But. No
1: moderation for you, Matt? (coughs) Oh, what a shame.
0: Yeah, he'll never believe that. I go all (laughs) out one way or the other. Can't stop once I start, so (laughs) might as well make it not groany. Might as well make it um, happy. So, uh, next, sex and intimacy. Let's talk about that for a minute. I compartmentalize things. Um, But negative actions linger for you and they build up so what I mean by that is um, I I can we can I can grunt and groan about credit card receipts I can stub my toe and um, you know have a stressful work day and have bad things happen and have the car have a flat tire and all these things and then when I get in bed at the end of the day I am still ready to go I've taken all that bad stuff and I've put that in its little box and pushed it away. And actually, in a case like that, if I've had a really bad day, I'm probably looking for some comfort in a right. semi-medicinal way from you. You, on the other hand, I think look at it the exact opposite way. Help me understand or help me um, validate or, or tell me I'm wrong. But if, if bad things happen, especially bad things between you and me, if I'm short about You know, spending money and I tell you you're a terrible parent, you should do it my way.
1: Well, then, absolutely no sex for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's not, I mean, I think think when guys hear that, they think, oh, I'm being punished. I'm being punished for whatever. It's not punishment. You just can't get there after, you know, I've been negative toward you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a thought and it escaped me now how I was going to explain that. I think that it's an emotional toll on me and they seem sort of exhausting because for me, the bad things that happen. Yeah. Like as it, as the day builds up, like I know say like when our daughter goes back to, you know, to college and she's been home for a while, that's an emotional toll on me. And the last thing I want to think about is being a sexual human being you look at it like you're sad and you want comfort. And so then that would be something that you would think would be comforting to you. Yes, it would feel good. And that it would be something bonding and that we would be doing together to like take care of one another. For me, I look at it like it's two separate houses. Like I'm emotionally sad Mm -hmm. and you're sad, you know, but there isn't alignment. I don't know if that makes any sense. But I think it's like an emotional toll at the end of the day. And I have to be, I, I can't be like in a bad mood or a sad mood to want to have a good time in bed. Like all my boxes need to be checked for a good day.
0: Okay, that is an excellent way to describe it.
1: thats That was what I was looking for. I
0: love that. You need to be emotionally in a good place. You and I need to be in a good place. We need to be Aligned to uh, to some extent, that doesn't mean we are the same person, or we've made all the same decisions. But we have to be supportive of each other. Again, back to this consistency thing. I can't be all across the board telling you you're making mistakes and then telling you you're great. On the other hand, you you would rather have just you know kind of middle of the road support and acknowledgement, but um, you know not being cut down by me, which in the past is something that I have inadvertently and intentionally done. Mm -hmm. And it's important that I not do that. But so if, if that box is checked and the kids seem happy, healthy, everything's fine there and there's no major catastrophe at work for you or no major catastrophe on the home front for you then you can move into a place where intimacy feels good. Yeah. I like that. Checking all the boxes. That's good. I didn't understand how fundamentally different our perspectives on this are until, well, this one, you know, we've been working on for years now. So I've started to understand this for a while. But I, I think one, one of, there's a couple of big takeaways, something else I want to talk about on this topic. But one of the big takeaways is I've got to understand that what I do at 9 o'clock in the morning matters or what i do last tuesday matters if it's a big if it's a big enough thing and i can't just be short and walk around with a grumpy face you know one of the big takeaways from early sobriety from all the people that we've met all the people that are alcoholics themselves in early sobriety and then all the loved ones who are in most cases married to someone who might be in early sobriety everyone talks about how grumpy and depressed the alcoholic is in early sobriety. That certainly was the case for me. So if I grump around all day and I make the mood in the house generally three or four notches lower than it otherwise needs to be, not not yelling at anybody, you know, not making an ass of myself, not being demanding or anything like that, just just not a happy looking camper. Eeyore. Eeyore excellent God, you're good today. Check the boxes, well, maybe, Eeyore. Like
1: maybe it. we should do the podcast recording a little later in the day when I have woken up a little bit. That's more good. Than, you know, in our early morning.
0: Yeah. I like that idea. But so, you know, if, if I'm not walking around here like Eeyore, then that's another one of your boxes that's checked. And there's a better chance that you're going to want to be intimate and, and, you know, feel that closeness. Because I... You know, you do when when things are right, you get there too, and it's not just a, you know, I hate this term. It's not just a wifely duty or a chore. Sure. A chore. And so I, I think I think that's really important for our listeners to understand because most, if not all, of our listeners have experienced the um, the grumpies, the yeah. early sobriety grumpies. And I
1: would even say. Like when you were drinking and you would be maybe overly euphoric about some things. That was almost like a little bit scary for me when you would kind of go through these like really jolly days. Mm -hmm. But that consistency of emotion, the up and down, like you didn't know what you were going to expect, like those take an emotional toll on me. And I think that even I don't want to say, you know, that like just because because I feel like codependency has a lot of of their you know um, explanations about what codependency is kind of makes you feel like it's a partnership you know but when you're sad of course because we're in a loving committed relationship it's gonna make me a little sad yeah if I'm completely detached and I don't give an F that you're sad I kind of feel like maybe you know to some reasons that you might be sad You know, some I don't give a rip about, like if your sports team lost or whatever, you know, that's ridiculous. But if you are emotionally hurting, I guess is a better way to put it, then that does hurt me a little bit too. And I do feel bad. So you walking around like Eeyore all day or being like exuberant and we don't know where it's coming from and euphoric, that's a little scary and unnerving. So it kind of leads, it sets up my emotions for the night.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very natural for a couple their emotions yeah. to feed off each other. Yeah, and Likewise, I'm just saying if... like,
1: and I don't think that that's saying you're codependent because I think that's being in a loving relationship. Yeah,
0: no, I don't, I agree. Because I
1: sometimes that, that there's a fine line there. Like you have to be, is. you know, you have to
0: If you're married to someone, their mood's going to rub off on you or their, or their mood is going to create a reaction in you. And there's yeah. nothing abnormal about that. Yeah. But again, this goes back to this point of consistency. And it doesn't mean I've got to be in a good mood all the time, but the respect that I show to you, that needs to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And I need to recognize that if if things have gone wrong, that's not an that's not a free pass for me to snap at you. I can take a moment and explain to you these two really bad things happened to me and I'm struggling mightily with them and then I think you know, you are understanding, but when I'm just day after day uh, illogically or irrationally grumpy, um, then that's a level of, that's bad consistency. Yeah. I need to be consistently communicative and respectful of your, where you are and, and what you deserve in a partner.
1: Yeah. And I think you added a good point. You had to, you have to be in communication so then the partner knows what's going on. But not, you don't have to unburden yourself of all of your feelings every single day, especially like in early sobriety, because we're both recovering in a lot of pain. And so you don't want to be too overwhelming, but you can just say, you know, it's just a hard day working on my sobriety. Or, yeah. You know, and then you cut, kind of, then the partner knows where you are. You know, the sober or trying to be sober partner has expressed. So at least you're on the same page. Yeah.
0: I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's right. Before we leave the topic of sex and intimacy, I think we should because there's another little piece of this. When we talk about how you and I are not the same, we're never going to be the same. You know, everyone gets all caught up in the sex drive conversation. Well, this person has a higher sex drive than this person. More times than not, in a kind of a traditional relationship, it's the guy that has the higher sex drive than the woman, but not always. Not even close to always. I can think of you know lots of relationships right here and now where we know that the female has a higher sex drive than the man. So I just think it's a cop out if you just say, oh, this person has a, you know, one person has a higher sex drive than the other, and that's why they can't get aligned, sex and intimacy wise. And I
1: think even in I
0: think that consistency piece that we've been talking about is a part of it. But I think another part of it is, again, we've talked about this before, but the way. Um, Specifically, females are raised and brought up and their early sexual experiences. I know that this is the case for you and I know that this is the case for many women that sex is in many ways transactional early on when they're first becoming sexually active. You know, oh, this guy has taken me to dinner three times so I know what I'm supposed to do on the third date. I know I've got to put out. like That's what's expected whether I want to or not. Or if if I want to get whatever thing it is I want to get, um, I've got to start putting out. I don't, putting out's the apparently the word I'm going to use. Sorry.
1: Well, there was a sense of obligation, and I think that this generation of young adults is going to hopefully break this. Where you don't the feel. next
0: generation after us. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, like this this current generation of young adults.
0: Okay, sorry.
1: Who's not listening?
0: Today? Well, I was listening. Okay. I just so this you generation. You didn't mean this generation, young, as in our generation.
1: This current generation of people who are young, okay. not us. We are old now. Okay, we're old. They Got are it. take. They are not using like sex as obligatory or expected or transactional. You know, it's going to be. You know, they're going to talk about it. I mean, I, this is stuff I'm learning. They're going to talk about it, and they're going to agree when it's time to to have sex. And I think that, you know, that's going to be great and change, because for so many years, because women were property, and that just kind of was a generational curse that kind of filtered through our DNA, we felt like it was an obligatory thing to to do. So hopefully... Yeah that changes. And also I would say like, it wasn't even like as a transactional, I just felt like, Oh, we've been dating for, you know, this long now and I'm 19 and I guess that's what you do. Cause there wasn't, there wasn't other than abstaining or using birth control or a condom to not get an STD. There wasn't a whole lot of conversations about self-worth,
0: self-worth or, or female pleasure either. Yeah. A fumbling late teen, early 20 dude doesn't have a clue what he's doing because we weren't taught and it's just not a topic of conversation. I'm, I hope that it is now. I don't know that it is.
1: I, yeah, mean, I, I think I that. think
0: a lot of what you said about consent, Yeah, I think those things have changed. you know there's I a think,
1: consent app now, right? I didn't. Yes, there is an actual consent app. Where... So
0: what, you both parties say I consent and then yes. you've got documentation yes. of it so nobody can be accused of yes. rape or whatever? exactly. Huh. Well, that's interesting. They make an app for everything, don't they? Yeah. But, yeah, I think that piece of it, that's great, the changes that are happening. I still don't, I mean, I'm not in a lot of conversations with 20-year-olds, but, <laughs> I about sex anyway, I still don't think I know that might surprise you, <laughs> but I still don't think there's a lot of uh, <laughs> conversation about female pleasure and y- a lot of education for males or i i don't think a lot of females even know right what's going right. on or or what they should expect or yes
1: so maybe, we've yeah. got
0: a long way to go but that the point the point as it relates to our relationship and recovering an alcoholic marriage is yes that was part of your background then that transactionality of it continued in our relationship because you know you spent a lot of time disappointed in your relationship disappointed in me I think, I think it's fair for us to say I think it's important for us to say You know, I wasn't the kind of alcoholic that got drunk every night we would go days and even weeks in between episodes I, I, I still drank for, mm-hmm. for most of my drinking career I still drank most nights of the week but I didn't get out of hand most nights of the week I would go again weeks at a time without getting out of hand but your disdain for it, your memory for when I would get out of hand, you knowing that the next shoe is about to drop at some point and not sure exactly when. All of that keeps some of your box, boxes unchecked that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when we would have sexual activity, it was transactional for you. It was either, oh, you know, it's, it's been a few nights or... Oh, I want to keep him from getting angry, or oh, he's a pathetic begging, you know, fool. So I'm going to give in, or oh, I want to keep him quiet so he doesn't wake the kids. If it was a partic- if it was a bad night, but it was back then. It was not. Oh, I'm really sexually attracted to this person and I want to get intimate. So, um, so that's something that we had to break through all of that baggage, the baggage of, you know, your early experiences as a teen in early 20s and your experiences with me as an alcoholic.
1: That's a lot! That's a lot to
0: break through and fix.
1: Yep. And by the way, drunks are disgusting. So let's just throw that out there. Okay. Yeah.
0: I think they're disgusting too. Uh, I didn't used to though. I don't know if you know that. I you thought used to you were rather were, charming and adorable I used to think and we were rather attractive charming. and I thought when we oh back, you were
1: the cat's meow and every girl wanted you or every guy wanted you the more I drank yeah. the
0: more I thought that the more <laughs> I drank I thought the louder I got just meant more people needed to listen to all the stuff I was saying
1: you <laughs> just wanted to make sure the whole bar or the whole crowd could hear you
0: and when I would repeat myself over and over it was because I thought it was a really cute story and everyone needed to hear it a yep. couple of times good stuff okay um, so that's enough good job talking about sex well done The last thing I want to talk about today, Sherry, is believe it or not, I think even more uncomfortable than it is to talk about sex and intimacy. And the there's the only reason I'm going here, or we're going to go here. Can you feel the suspense building? Are you excited? The only reason we're going to go here is because we see it in so many other people. This is the kind of thing that I would ordinarily just keep to myself or just keep between you and I but the fact that we're actually publishing this to the internet is because we've you know we haven't done scientific research where we can you know we've done a study and we're trying to prove a point scientifically but we got a lot of anecdotal evidence of this and I think it's worth talking about worth opening a conversation about you are my priority I think that's in a in a traditional relationship like ours man and woman and kids I think that's pretty common the kids are your priority again I think that's pretty common it you know I denied what I was seeing for a while before I finally kind of came to grips with the fact that if you had to and you'll never have to right so it's this is a stupid thing but if you had to you would pick them <laughs> over me
1: Yes, yeah. I know we've we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, but but then, yeah. like when there were those decisions at for childbirth, like you're like, if anything goes wrong, I'm choosing you. If you can't make the decision over the baby, and I was like, what? Like why? You know. But I think that is an animal instinct because you think of all the mothers out there that are keeping their young protected from the, you know, the dominant male in their tribe. I think it is
0: an animal instinct, and that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's, I think this is a very taboo subject that most people aren't willing to talk about. But I think the fact is, it's a natural animal instinct. Yes. This I isn't prefrontal so. cortex. This is, I don't know, Brazilian some other brain. part of the brain. Yeah. yeah. I really, I really believe that.
1: Also, I looked at it like they need a chance in life, and you've had your chance.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Depending on how you're going down, you may have blown it. So better than the.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, I also, for the record, want to acknowledge that I also know that the cats are a priority <laughs> over me.
1: That is now
0: that I'm okay with. Okay, I've come to grips with that. It's They're fine. snuggly
1: it's and fine. cute, and I love them. And I can just carry them around like I'm a big monster. But I would never. Let's be real. I would never choose them over any of my humans.
0: When you look at those cats, now, there is unconditional love.
1: Well, there they is because
0: they mostly can't hurt you. Just
1: like any, like whatever your animal is that you love, you just go gaga over. There's always going to be something that I, you.
0: I walk in by the litter box with that new one, and uh, holy cow! I don't know how that can come out of that cat, but you still you love him unconditionally too. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: cuz they're different. They don't know any better. Yeah. You know.
0: But but, but there's no, never
1: there would never be a have to choose and I would have to think about it.
0: Well, and I don't even want to I don't want to put this in the context of have to choose. This is making it sound morbid and scary yeah. like like an intruder is on his way here and we <laughs> have to get our ducks in a row and cuz yeah. we got some big decisions to make. With, without even putting it in that kind of morbid life or death um way of looking at it it is it is another example of how you and I are not a hundred percent aligned we from the very first thing that I said today um w- we might be on the same team, but being the same team on the same team doesn't mean that we're the same and that's that's okay I think it's important for both people in the relationship to understand this emotionally because I think a lot of the loved ones of alcoholics, a lot of the female loved ones of alcoholic men, see, especially when alcoholics are in early sobriety, how much the alcoholic is trying to depend on and lean on and, you know, just glom onto the spouse, and it's it's kind of disgusting and revolting. the the spouse the the wife is looking for a strong independent person who's getting their shit together and knows they've got to figure their stuff out and work towards sobriety. But and, and and that's all of that's right, right? I mean, we've talked about the fact that one of the biggest benefits for me when I was trying to get sober was the fact that you had detached and you didn't want to hear about it anymore and you didn't you didn't want to be the shoulder to cry on. You wanted me to, you know, that time had passed. You were done and I had to figure it out. true. but I, I just want to point out how natural it is for I, th- I think in most cases the man to be the you know to be looking for a great deal of emotional support from the woman. and I think because that certainly was what I was looking for or what I needed, I think that there is the fact that as an alcoholic, we are emotionally extremely immature. Because whenever something bad happened emotionally, we just drank to get through it. If we got, if we were stressed, we drank. If we were sad, if we were grieving, we just drank, drank, whatever. So we've never had to have any emotional maturity. So we don't have any. So that's part of the glomming on. But the other part of it is, Sherry, you are my go-to. You are my number one. Whereas for you, the kids are your number one. I think this is the natural order. I think this is the way... You know, you and I are believers. This is the way God intended it. Um, if if you believe in something else, whatever the thing is you believe in, um, you know, the universe's whispers, whatever, I think that's the way the universe intended it. God, you have a disgusted look oh, on your face. You're
1: rambling a little. Sorry. That was all. Do you, but,
0: do you agree with what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think, yes. I think that that's just how it was designed. Mothers are meant to protect and choose their young. Choose and, their young? You know, like, cho- you know, choose, not choose, C-H-E-W-S. Like, choose, you know, their young over Oh,
0: oh. you're back to one sperm of us has got to die. I don't know why we have well, to. Well, I'm just so saying,
1: have... like, the protection and all that. Like Prioritize. That's, prioritize. That's the word.
0: Spend your time. Spend your effort. That's yeah. where you're going to. But this is so. I think this is so fundamentally important to this discussion because we, as guys, are looking to this person again for the, all this emotional support, and the person we're looking to is like, "Yeah, hang on a minute, I got these kids to deal with. Mm-hmm. They're my priority." Again, naturally, and so that you know, it, it just goes. It back to- come
1: back. Like if if things are going well in sobriety, it comes back. You know, like. As your kids get older and they can be more independent, then you and I spend a lot more time together. and And I do find that in sobriety and the more mature you're getting, that you're able to handle my stuff. I've been able to share stuff with you, um, things that are going on outside of our relationship. Whereas in past, you've not been able to deal with, you know, conflicts I've had at other. Other instances outside the relationship, whether it be, you know, extended family or other coworkers, you hadn't ever really been able to deal with it because you've not been mature.
0: When you say deal with it, you mean like be a good listener, be a good listener,
1: not try to fix the problem, not well, that's be, the key, not be like super mad and angry because sometimes you'll take on you're like you'll take if on whatever has that wronged you, wrong me, and and. But it just comes out in a bad way, you know. You're you're right. And then you get angry, and then it's an irrational anger when you're drinking and when you were younger and more immature. So now I've been able to learn to trust you because of this consistency. To be more, you know, more forthcoming with things that I want to share.
0: You've been able to trust me, but I think it's also fair to say that it's that this. The way I behave now is more attractive to you. I'm not talking physically attractive, right. emotionally attractive. You want someone who's stable and reasonably strong and emotionally, you know, solid to to share stuff with.
1: Yeah. Whereas if before I'm gonna would...
0: be irrational or if I'm gonna get really sad about it or really angry about it, that's not attractive to you. Yeah. Because again, I'm not that for you. we're we're, we're different things for different people this is why we say it a lot but alcohol is not meant for human consumption and clawing your way back from this disease is so counterintuitive it you know it alcohol does things to us drinkers that make us repulsive to our spouses and I'm not just talking about being sloppy drunk. Right. I'm talking about when you're sober, but your mind's not right. That that level of need that I used to feel, that's not what you're looking to be on the receiving end of. Mm-hmm. It's just not. If If I wasn't... And now that I've got all this sobriety, I don't ever feel that way. I don't ever feel that needy. I mean, yeah. I still have needs that only you can fulfill. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about other things. But I'm not so needy in expressing them.
1: Yeah. And I would, I just want to clarify, it's not just so much sobriety um, and abstaining from alcohol. You've done work. Done work and time. And time. Yeah. So it's got to be a combination. It can't just be abstaining from alcohol for a long time because you were then just stuck and the dry drunk. So it has to be that your brain has to mature, catch up to where you really are in your life, age wise, be able to be emotionally mature, and and your brain has to be functioning at a higher power or how you know than it was when you were drinking. Yeah. And in early sobriety.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad we're talking about this. I know you and I have privately talked about this a lot, but. I feel like this is a taboo subject. I feel like this is the kind of thing that a guy could be labeled as sexist for bringing up. And in this age of equal opportunity, which you and I are big believers in, equal opportunity doesn't mean we're all equal. We're all created equally. There are different uh, hormones and different motivators and just different um, things driving us internally. Yeah, And it's okay. Yeah, and I think it's okay to talk about it. So I'm glad that we did.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, just when you think about our Q community out there, you know, everyone is different, and we shouldn't expect everyone to be equal, but they should have equal opportunities. Equal opportunity, equal, absolutely. Equal, you know. Um, I was going to think of another word, but it's actually the same thing as opportunities. But so never mind.
0: Yeah, equality in that. Equal way. respect. Equal respect. Absolutely. But I
1: think it just. And I'm beginning to believe that it's just not a gender component as much as it is just an individual component and how your body chemistry and how you are put together and created. So I would, you know, I know there are lots of things that we talk about in, you know, in this podcast and in previous podcasts where we talk about it being a gender component and we're talking about those kind of biological, um... Things that definitely happen, but I feel like even within each gender, you know, there's all these dis- differences. So I'm beginning to think that it's just an individual component. But okay. I, but I there mean, can be definitely traditional roles, to gender roles. S-
0: to some degree, I agree with you, but I feel like of the cases where, you know, the examples, the relationships where we have intimate knowledge, um, what we're describing is is pretty common. Yeah. Where the the female person is prioritizing pretty clearly prioritizing the kids and the male person is pretty clearly prioritizing their relationship with the woman. I mean, I can't tell you how many times working with alcoholics that are trying to find recovery that the sentiment is, I have to get sober to save my marriage. And I can't tell you how many women that I've heard say, I have to prioritize my kids. Uh, I don't know if the marriage is a good thing for my kids. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes, Re- total respect for the fact that there are individual examples and that that you know that this is not necessarily universal, but there are a lot of examples where gender plays a plays a role. For me, from what I'm observing,
1: yeah, I guess maybe our... we
0: should just do a scientific study, and then we don't have to like get around on the uh, the anecdotal evidence that we have. We can actually say, this is what the evidence says. Yeah, it's, it, it would prove us right if we did. <laughs> I'm sure of it. So, we can be on the same team without being the same. That's the takeaway. So, uh, what do you want to play midfielder? Oh, I want to be center back.
1: Okay. Actually, I just want to be goalie.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Why? Got no reason.
1: You don't have to run as much.
0: (laughs) Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources.
1: If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If
0: you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org.